words through this week. So if you'll join me in prayer with them this week, I'd really appreciate it. And then we're going to continue our series uh, this week called Through the Night. Um, what does through the night mean? Well, there's a song. Uh, I'm not going to sing it for you, and I'm not going to play it for you. So the first one gives you a lot of relief, probably, because that would get really awkward, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, go listen to the song Through the Night by the Digital Age. Uh, that's the group, and uh, you'll like it. At least, I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's really good. I was listening to that song, I don't know, maybe six, I, I heard it for the first time maybe like six or nine months ago. And it was one of those songs where, I don't know, if I hear a song I like, I listen to it over and over and over and over and over until I get sick of it, and then I'll forget about it for a couple of years, and then I'll come back to it. And uh, I listened to it so much I got sick of it, but I came back to it. But it kind of inspired, uh, I, I kind of filed this away for the season of Lent. Like, we've, we need to talk about what it's like to live through the night. So in the Old Testament, the word, like if you look at the story of Moses, the word that uh, is, is associated with his journey would be the wilderness or the desert. Jesus had the cross. Paul had a cave. Um, and I, we're calling it the night. But we all, you know, following Jesus and Lent, uh, the season of Lent reminds us of this, is that suffering is involved. As we pursue the cross and pursue our king and follow him, there are, there are going to be seasons or, or maybe it might be one night, it might be many nights where there is uh, a darkness, uh, spiritually and emotionally, that we maybe we can't really grasp or explain. It just comes uh, like a storm. And that's what through the night, uh, that's what we're talking about. Because Lent is a season that reminds us of Jesus' suffering for us and for humanity. And Andy talked about last week in the first sermon, he talked about how do we suffer with God? Because when we encounter this, typically uh, we, want, we don't want anything to do with him. All right, we blame him, we point the finger at him, we abandon him, we don't think of him as a place or, or a source of comfort or peace. Uh, he, he's actually someone we, we think is the problem, typically. Uh, but Andy talked about last week, how do you maintain this connection with God? Because it is sacred to the journey of walking with him through the night. And then today is part one of two of how do we walk through pain and suffering with others? All right, that, it, it's not something I can squeeze into 20 minutes. We're going to talk about it this week, and then we're going to do part two next week. Uh, but that, that's kind of where we're going with the series. There's a couple of uh, extra biblical resources that I used that I would recommend. Um, and these are strictly opinions. Uh, but I, I've had these seasons before, and Brennan Manning always helps me get through them. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a, a famous author and speaker. He's, he's, uh, he passed away uh, a few years ago, but... He's written quite a few books, like The Ragamuffin Gospel, The Furious Longing of God, Abba's Child. Basically, all of his books say the same thing. All right, so you can pick any one of them, and you're going to get the same message from him. But he just has a way uh, of crafting uh, his message of what it's like to um, be aware of the presence and the power and the grace of God in the midst of suffering. And then there's a, a woman uh, named Francine Rivers. She's an author, and she wrote a book called Redeeming Love. If you've known me at all for very long, I've probably recommended that book to you at some point. And do not be uh, fooled by the cover. The cover looks like some really cheesy romantic novel. It's not. It's a really, it actually might feel that way at the beginning of the story, but it's a really powerful book, and there's some really deep biblical truth, uh, Christian truth that rings through that book. And then uh, if you're not a reader... I can't believe I'm about to say this, but uh, consider going to see The Shack. 
Uh, I read that book about seven or eight years ago and hated it, uh, mainly because I'm an English teacher and I thought it was really poorly written and I'm nitpicky about good writing. Um, so there's my cynical part of it. But there is some really uh, powerful beauty and theological truth in that movie, particularly of a man suffering and how to engage the pain Amen. and not ignore it. I loved that about the movie. And I went skeptically, uh, but I walked away pleasantly surprised and moved uh, by that. And uh, someone told me that Logan was actually more spiritual than The Shack, like the new movie about Wolverine. So I went to see both. I'm like, well, I got to go see both. And um, I thought Logan was way overrated, and I thought The Shack was way underrated. So there's my movie critique for this morning. Um, and then also, Zach was telling me, Brennan Manning, I mentioned him earlier, there's a, a new documentary out about his life that just came out. So if you're not a reader, maybe you want to check out his life story. It's called Brennan. All right, so those are, uh, oh, then one more thing. I'm going to be um, quoting, and, and some of the things I'm going to say today are uh, advice or tips that my counselor has given me. His name is Eric Sunquist. He founded a counseling organization called Safe Harbor. Uh, it's, it's all over the area. Counselors, it's actually a really massive organization, uh, and it's, it's really incredible. It's a network of counselors. It's really incredible. So some, if I say anything that you think sounds remotely good today, it's probably from Eric and not from me. So it's Jesus or Eric today, not Aaron. Um, so outside of Jesus, um, there's one thing you definitely need to walk through the night of life, and that is friends. You cannot walk it alone. Uh, and if, if you're like me, uh, or if we have that tendency to be kind of a lone wolf or an introvert, uh, that's our first instinct, is to do it alone. It's like, I, I don't want to be around anybody. I just want to kind of be in my own little shell, and we can get there really quickly. Seven years ago in Queens, New York, there was a woman walking down the sidewalk at approximately like 5.30, 6 in the morning on her way to work, and she was attacked and mugged. Uh, and there was a homeless man nearby named Hugo, and Hugo intervened, and he was able to separate the attacker from the woman, and the woman was able to escape. But in the process, Hugo was stabbed several times by the attacker in the chest and actually continued to give chase to the attacker, but collapsed on the sidewalk face down, bleeding profusely. Thankfully, a man, just after it happened, came out of a building, and he saw Hugo laying on the ground, and he took out his cell phone, and he took a picture of Hugo. And then he walked away. And then another person came down the sidewalk and saw Hugo laying on the ground and walked away. And 23 more people came by Hugo and saw him laying on the ground bleeding. Some people leaned down and even shook him and touched him. And they all walked away. No one helped him. No one called 911. And an hour and 20 minutes later, someone finally called 911, but it was too late. Hugo died bleeding all over the sidewalk in Queens, New York. And we see a story, I think that happened about seven years ago. I read a story like that, and I'm just blown away at not the hatred, but the indifference that we can have towards other people. Uh, Elie Wiesel was a writer, an activist. He was a Holocaust survivor. He said this about indifference. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The opposite of beauty is not ugliness. It's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, but indifference between life and death. So within humanity, I don't, you know, I, I've thought about this some, but I, I really believe there's a major indifference to enter another person's suffering and pain. 
I think most people want to avoid that. Uh, as we saw in Hugo's case, indifference kills people. All right, 25 people were indifferent towards his plight and did nothing to help him. So people in general, I know that's an extreme example, but I've witnessed it in, in smaller cases where we, someone might be in obvious agony or pain, and people typically look for someone else to enter it. Uh, and we, we have a natural hesitation to embrace the pain of another, to enter all the, all the awkwardness, all the weirdness, all, all the, um, you know, the, the shrapnel that comes when you enter pain with someone else. You're going to get hurt as well. There's risk involved. All right, it's a really systemic issue in our culture. And our scripture passage for today was written by a man named Paul who started a church in Corinth. And he wrote this reminder uh, to his church. Uh, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our, all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So notice his emphasis. He keeps saying that same word over again, comfort. He repeats this. When you think about how do you receive comfort if you're uncomfortable, stop doing what's uncomfortable. You have to stop the action that is causing discomfort. So around here, uh, what it usually is is work. All right, this is the DMV. This is the land of workaholics. This is the land of I'm busy. I want to stay busy. It's, it's, it's this badge of honor. Um, if we can just keep ourselves busy enough, we don't have to stop and think or notice our own wounds and suffering or others' suffering. And the way I stop, uh, where what I, my preference is, is to find comfort in stuff other than Jesus Christ. It's uh, food. I, I find a lot of comfort in food. I don't know if you're like me, but a chocolate chip cookie goes a long way towards appeasing my anxiety. All right, it's a... Uh, it's a Band-Aid, all right, or streaming media, all right? I can do a deep dive on YouTube of, like, March Madness highlights and, like, snakes eating things. I can do that for quite a while and, can be, and numb myself to any anxiety or stress or pain that's going on, all right? It, it's just easy to do that. And the problem with all of that, none of that's evil, but none of that's Christ. So we're just numbing the pain. We're ignoring um, where God wants to take us in this season of night. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying you, you got to like find 30 seconds of Jesus and that, that's going to fix all your problems. I mean, that is, that's shallow, superficial spirituality. That is not the essence of our faith. It's much deeper than that. All right. Our faith, our faith is really textured. Um, and when we think about, when I'm talking about stopping what you're doing and pouring just as much as your focus and effort uh, into receiving comfort from Christ. So think about how hard you work or how hard you focus on whatever is important to you. That's what it's like to find rest and comfort in Christ. It's pouring that amount of focus and effort into just receiving from him. And we have a really difficult time receiving from God or from other people. If you think about I've used this example before. If you've ever gone out to dinner with someone or coffee or friends and they reach for the check, what's your first instinct? No, it's to reject the act of generosity. You do not want to receive something. Uh, there, there's some sort of element of pride that gets in our way of stopping and receiving. So what I'm saying about walking through the night is you have to pause long enough 
to recognize your own wounds and not minimize them. It's really easy for us to minimize, like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. You keep saying that, and the wound just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And one of the main causes, and the reason I say all this about stopping and noticing your own wounds, is because one of the main causes of indifference we have towards others' pains, others' pain is caused by an internal indifference to invite others into our own pain. Right? You cannot minimize your own internal wounds or pain and expect to be empathetic towards the plight of others. They go hand in hand. So we have to start there. We, have to, we need to let God and others into the points of pain in our own story, into the seasons of night in our own story, because the effect of that on us is going to be healing for us and for other people. That's the natural result. So um, you know where I find, you know, I mentioned streaming media and food, where I find the most comfort uh, in, in, in like a therapeutic spirit is playing sports. And I'm 37 now. When I play sports, it is very mentally and spiritually therapeutic, but not so much physically anymore. <laughs> All right? It's a painful reminder of the process of aging uh, and, and what my body can handle. And there, a couple of years ago, I played uh, pickup basketball, which I grew up in Indiana. There's a couple things we do in Indiana. All right, we eat a lot of corn, and we play a lot of basketball. That's all we do. And I played basketball for the first time in, in months, maybe years, at this retreat. And we played for like two or three hours. And in the midst of that, my body was communicating to me. And it was saying, you need to take it easy. You need to take it easy. But I felt so good. It was either the adrenaline or maybe my muscles being warm that I was like, I'm fine. I was, my mentally, mentally and emotionally, I, could, I, was on an alt, I was really high. I was loving it, finding a lot of comfort in that. But two hours after we stopped playing, uh, my body let me stop the kind of damage I had done to it by ignoring the signals. And it was only when I stopped that I recognized the pain that I was in. We have to stop. It, whether it's playing sports or working, we will not recognize uh, these seasons of uh, that where God's trying to restore us or heal us if we don't stop in the midst of them and, and, and notice what he's saying to us. So when we stop and receive Christ and invite him into our wounds, our doubts, our pain, we're going to start to notice some things. And that's when the night begins. So Eric tells me you can't minimize your own wounds and then expect to be empathetic to others who are hurting. So if you don't walk away with anything else today, just walk away with that one word. Stop. Just stop. Stop running so fast. And see where, where you need restoration. And then you're going to start to know, notice others. So when you stop, the indifference you might have towards your own pain and others will start to slowly seep out. Uh, and, and I can, it's an opinion. It, it can happen quickly, but it, typically I don't think it's a quick fix. Uh, indifference runs deep in our veins. And in my experience, it takes a while for that to dissipate. And I found, that the, I found that the more people I invite into my own journey of suffering or of nighttime, my nighttime in my life, um, the faster the healing occurs. The more people I tell specifically what I need prayer for, the quicker I heal or the, or the, the easier the journey is through the night. Uh, or confession. You know, confessing sin, woundedness, pain, suffering. Um, I found that, that that's incredibly relieving to do that. And it, uh, it's absolutely terrifying. When you think about, I mean, let's just use the word sin because it, it, it's a trigger word in our culture. But confessing sin, when you do that, um, 
before doing it, I think you can be filled with a lot of uh, fear and, and uh, crippling anxiety because it is a terrible weight to carry that around. But the, but the relief that comes with confession, with inviting people in to the wounds and the brokenness, uh, it is incredibly comforting and relieving and therapeutic and it leads to healing. And I know, oh man, do I know, the embarrassment of confession and the shame that is associated with the feeling of actually doing that. I know that. Uh, I saw a great quote the other day. Uh, and it was in reference to the, the story in Genesis, two and, uh, Genesis 3. He, uh, Adam hid behind a tree, naked and covered in shame. Jesus hung on a tree, naked, and he conquered shame. And that is the truth that we have as Christians. You have nothing to be ashamed of. There is no more shame. It has been conquered in the kingdom of God. And we live in a shaming culture. If you're on Twitter or Facebook or any kind of social media or you read uh, or if you watch any 24-7 news channels, I hope you don't. But if you get a snippet of that, you're going to see people shaming one another. It, it is like, it's like oxygen. Everybody takes it. Everybody uses it. Everybody sends it other people's directions. Shame runs rampant. And the Christological truth that we have in the kingdom is that there is no more shame. It is completely unique to our faith and to Jesus. We don't see that anywhere else. And the fact that uh, there's no shame, is, it's like this, uh, this light of truth in this black hole of darkness, of this shaming culture that we live in. But there is no more shame. So when you think about confession and the shame that you might feel before that happens, ignore that instinct and know it's been conquered. You know, like that song we sang, there's countless second chances. There is no more shame. So as you stop and you intentionally invite Christ into your wounds and you invite people you trust into them and you confess brokenness and pain and sin, I'm assuming you're going to do all these things, right? You're like, check, check, check. Yeah, piece of cake, right? You'll notice your empathy for yourself and others will begin to slowly rise as shame and indifference dissipate. They're proportional to one another. So if you want to actually, I mean, I could probably ask everybody in here who wants to make a difference in the world, and every one of us would, would raise their hands, and then probably a lot of us would be like, I have no idea how to do that. One powerful way you can do that is to do what I'm telling you to do right here, is to imitate what Paul's saying and what Jesus did, is to invite, is to stop, uh, intentionally invite Christ into your wounds and others into your wounds, because as your indifference and shame dissipate, your empathy and your love and your power to affect other people's lives will increase. <clears throat> That's critical to doing that. Most people don't want to do that. Most people don't want to deal with their own stuff. And that's where um, restoration uh, in, in a global scale is halted because people aren't willing to deal with their own stuff and, be, and, and let God and others into their own seasons of night. So this might be where you start to recognize others' pain. If you, if you get to that point, uh, you're going to start to notice people more and in a new way. It's like you're going to be wearing new lenses, and you're going to start to notice uh, suffering and, and pain and um, even the slightest stuff, maybe in your workplace or with your neighbors. You're going to start to see expressions on people's faces and start to read their body language a little bit better because you're going to just start to become... Uh, it, it's, it's kind of a miraculous awareness that occurs uh, when, you, when you start to notice other people. Uh, because as you become more like Jesus, as your theology, like your knowledge of Jesus increases, 
your methodology is going to increase. Like your understanding of humanity and other people's suffering is going to widen. All right, the blinders are going to start to come off and open up, and you're going to see stuff and realize stuff. So if you're working through healing yourself and becoming more like Jesus, just know as your, the, your theology becomes more robust, your methodology of helping others is going to become more robust. You're, it's going to be more arrayed and diverse. So as an example, I just recently moved. Moving sucks. Am I right? Amen. This is my, I've lost count. I don't know. Carrie and I have been married 13 years, and we've moved 13 or 14 times. I, I'm not exaggerating. We've counted, but I've lost count now. It's 13 or 14 houses that we've lived in. Um, and in the midst of this move, we're kind of like past the move now. We're a week. It's been a week. I'm in that season of like putting stuff back together again that we disassembled for the move. And there's been many times in the last week where I'm sitting in a room and I'm like, oh, I need a Phillips head screwdriver. But I don't want to walk like down two flights of stairs or whatever to grab it out of my toolbox. And so I start scanning the room. Like what can substitute for a Phillips head screwdriver right now? Or if I need to open up a box and I don't have the scissors, I'm like, what can I use to cut this tape? Or if I need to pull a nail head out of the wall, what can I use other than my hammer that I don't have? So I just instantly start looking around because by nature I'm impatient. And I just want to start using stuff in a way that it, you know, it's not meant to be used. And I've cut my finger a few times trying to pull nails out of the wall. And I've destroyed boxes trying to use a key to open it instead of a sharp pair of scissors. And you start doing that, um, <clears throat> you think about the tools that you actually need. I'm sorry, I got a cough. <coughs> sorry. <clears throat> um, what I'm saying is when we have these tools available to us. We have these tools in our belt. Um, Jesus is going to start putting more tools in our belt the more that we understand him. He's going he's to start giving us, uh, we may just have one favorite tool. So think about if you see someone in pain uh, or suffering, typically some of us have our favorite responses to that, like our, the tool that we always reach for. Some, sometimes it's prayer. All right? Maybe it's an encouraging word. All right, you want to say something positive to that person, or maybe you like to go to that old, like, favorite out-of-context Bible verse where you say someone, hey, God won't give you anything more than you can handle. Christians love that one, and it never gives relief. It usually just pisses people off. Uh, but that, that's one of the favorite ones I've heard. Or maybe it's to blame someone. Or maybe you say, to point the finger, like, yeah, it's so-and-so's fault. Or maybe you're blaming Satan. Maybe you say it's Satan's fault, which is good. It's probably pretty accurate. But in my experience, it rarely gives people comfort to identify the source of the problem or the source of, of blame. <clears throat> you know what my favorite tool is? It's to problem solve. I love to fix people's problems in my head, like these deep, horrible, layered problems with like a simple three-point plan. Like if you just do this, all your problems are going to go away. And I've grown up and matured, and I've, I've ignored that instinct a number of times, mainly because I'm married. And when I have a passionate conversation with my wife, the last thing she wants to hear is my plan for solving the problem. She typically just wants me to listen. So we all have our favorite tools we go to in these moments. And what Jesus is going to show us is that there are a lot more tools that we can use um, to walk with people through pain. And I apologize for the impersonal analogy of tools uh, because when you step into someone's life, you're stepping into something that's sacred. Uh, that is you know, hallowed ground, all right? and, and the tool analogy is the only thing I could really think of that um, we might need to reconsider 
our favorite ways of walking through hell with people. We have to think about each individual person is different and unique and a created being. And the way that they want to be walked with may be completely different than the way you want to be walked with through pain. So you've got to be in tune. This is where being in tune with Christ and inviting him in and inviting others in is going to benefit your ability to walk with others through their pain because you're going to start to understand how to do that because it, it is an art. It is a, it is a science. It is a, um, it's not just something you can just dive into. There's stuff to be learned here. Um, but when someone invites you in to their mind or their heart or their, their suffering, man, you've got to really tread lightly. You've got to be gentle. You cannot, it's already damaged in there. And you do not want to be a person that damages it even more. So it's, it, you're tiptoeing into the suffering, into the hell that someone might be going through. And you have to honor that, uh, that sacred invitation that someone's inviting you into there. Because you, like I said, you're in, you're in hallowed ground. You're entering, think about it this way. Even if it's just the littlest thing where you, know, you notice maybe someone crying at their cubicle at work. You're, when you enter in and you actually slide over and, and you say, hey, what's going on? By just by doing that, you are entering a space that only God has been invited to. All right? That's what you got to think about. It's that kind of intimacy. All right? It, it cannot be treated with any kind of flippancy or insensitivity uh, when you walk into someone's hurt and walk into someone's pain. Um, like I said, this is a two-part sermon. Um, I, it's important that I don't try to squeeze this into one teaching. And part two is going to come next week of how did Jesus walk with people through suffering? We're going to talk about kind of his methods of doing that. And until then, if I could just give you one effective tool that almost always works. I can't think of a time it's failed. All right? Uh, so whatever, whatever your, your normal reaction is to people in pain, put that tool away for at least a week and try this one uh, and see how it does for you. Um, someone's confiding in you, the tool is listening. Just listen. All right, if someone is uh, confessing something, don't comment. Just listen. You know, maybe put your hand on their shoulder. Nod your head. Be an attentive, uh, enthralled listener. You can't turn someone off that way. It's impossible. People want to be listened to. And when you're looking at them in the eye, and you're nodding your head, and you're responding with maybe touch, <clears throat> it is a really powerful way to slowly and uh, gently enter someone's pain and suffering. Amen. Practice the art of listening. And it, it'll go a long way in walking through the night with people. Don't offer advice. Don't counsel. Don't offer quick fixes. Just listen. Ignore every westernized instinct in your body, is what I'm telling you to do. And just listen and be an avid listener, an attentive listener. Um, again, you won't believe how much comfort re people receive from that. And if you think about it this way, from a uh, spiritual standpoint, um, we, we have, you know, our, our uh, understanding with God is a Trinitarian God, that God, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is definitely the most mysterious and mystical part uh, of our faith. Um, but one thing I believe is that when we are connected uh, in attention to someone else, that we may not have, like, um, the exact words to say, but just our mere listening presence 
the Holy Spirit is rolling through us into them. This is why sometimes when I'm with someone, um, I, actually, I actually intentionally will touch them because I, my theology, I feel like the Holy Spirit will roll through that. I may not know what to say. There are a lot of times, because I'm an introvert, I have to process a lot internally before I know what to say. So there's a lot of moments where I might be with someone and I don't know what to say. But I know if I touch them, the Holy Spirit will roll through that. And I may never see the fruit of that or understand what's going on, but I just want them to know that physical touch is God is with you. He hears you. And he is there with me. And, 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 I may, and I'm human. I might be limited in my understanding of what this person's going through. But God will work through that. So as the band comes up, uh, I want to close with our scripture for today. I want to read it again. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ.